uh, it makes a huge difference uh, whenever we arrive and you receive such a warm welcome, so thank you for that. Thank you for the praise team for leading. Uh, a wonderful uh, array of songs that just fit in beautifully with uh, the sermon and the, the words of Scripture that we're going to hear today. Um, if you do have your Bibles, please do open them up. Uh, I just want to read from it, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 31 to 39, and then I will pray briefly, and then with God's help, we will seek to unpack these wonderful verses Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31 and reading down to verse 39. This is God's Word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, and Paul quotes from Psalm 44, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Word of God. Let's pray very briefly and ask for God's assistance before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths that we have been singing. Father, we thank you too for the the spectacular truths that we have just been reading over these past few moments. And now we pray that as we meet here together, as your servant Charles Spurgeon once said, Lord, that he once compared the Bible to a lion, that you do not keep a lion penned in, but you open the gates and let it loose. And so, Father, come by your Holy Spirit now, we pray. And as we opened up your word, we pray that you would just be loose upon our hearts now and speak to us minister to us, teach us, and lead us. Encourage us, challenge us, and edify each one of your people here today. We do ask and pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. I want to take you back to your childhood. For some, that's a little bit longer than others, a wee bit further away than others. But I wonder, could you think back to any Christmas morning whenever you were a young child, and you just couldn't wait to get out of bed? And if you had stairs, maybe not, but you just couldn't wait to get out of bed and get to the room where those presents were waiting for you. Maybe it was a doll. Maybe it was a doll's house with a doll. Maybe it was a football or a remote control car. Maybe it was a football with a football jersey. But whatever it was, can you remember what that was like? Can you remember the excitement that you had? And when you walked in, that your eyes were just popping out of your head. For me, one year, 
it was an action figure. It was a Steve Austin action figure. Now, not Steve Austin, the wrestler, okay? I'm not talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Go home and Google Steve Austin, okay? I'm talking about the $6 million man. He was played by Lee Majors, all right? And I got the action figure of the $6 million man one Christmas, and it was absolutely wonderful. Now, listen, if you were to buy me socks, you would be my friend for life, all right? It doesn't take much, okay, now? But... There's something very attractive about newness, isn't there? There's something very attractive about, some, about things that are new. A new car, a, a new shirt, a new destination to visit. We just love new. We love things that are new. But what is it that always happens? The things that are new, they don't last. Sure, they don't. Today's phone or today's tablet is tomorrow's old technology. Wood rots, metal rusts, the human body wrinkles, hair disappears, carbohydrates become your first enemy. Newness does not last. But folks, here's the point. What if you and I could really live in 2023 and 2024 and even beyond that in the newness, the continuous renewal power of God the Holy Spirit? What if we could live in the newness of God the Holy Spirit every single day that God has us on this earth? What if God really has given us promises and a certainty that empowers his people to, in a way to live that makes us invincible to every single demonic accusation that is flung our way? What if it makes us invincible to every dark thought that enters our mind and every single disappointing circumstance that comes into our lives? What if you and I could, could know the strength and the peace that, is, that we have in a world that is falling apart? Well, Romans chapter 8, the whole of Romans chapter 8, there are a number of themes in Romans chapter 8, but the main theme is the people of God living in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39 that we have just read shouts a very loud and a very clear message to us that we can live that kind of life. Whether you're a father, a mother, a grandparent, a child, a teacher, a student, a business owner, an employee, you can open your eyes every single morning with the continual newness that is empowered by the Holy Spirit as Romans chapter 8 takes root and goes deeper into your and my life. I wonder, have you ever noticed that Romans 8 Romans chapter 8 begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. No condemnation and at the end it ends with no separation. And as Christians, we say amen to that. But I wonder, are there some weeks in your life whenever maybe you get to Wednesday afternoon and you wonder, is God done with me? Because you know what? I've just repeated the same old sin again and again and again. And maybe it leads to questions like, Lord, am I going to make it all the way? God, are you really going to keep loving me through all of my failures and all of my unfaithfulness? God, you know what? I'm done with me because I'm stuck in the same old pattern of sin. And so I'm wondering right now, are you done with me as well? 
Maybe sometimes you're like the disciples from Mark 4 when they were in the boat in the storm. And maybe you say, God, do you even care? But you see, folks, listen, God knows that we will go through valleys and we will climb hills. He knows that we will come up against principalities and powers of darkness who will throw accusations our way. God knows that even our own hearts will let us down and that they will allow us to doubt and to fear. And Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39 speaks an unbreakable assurance to every single one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. That in a chaotic world, in a chaotic world, God wants his children to have certainty, to have a rock-solid assurance. And that rock-solid assurance is that God is for you. And what Paul does here in these verses of 31 to 39, he, is, he asks five unanswerable questions. They are unanswerable because they're answered within the question, and we'll see that as we go through them. But five unanswerable questions which show us just how much God actually is for us. And we can break these five questions into, into two categories. Verses 31 to 35, God is for us in the work of Christ. And verses 35 to 39, God is for us in the love of Christ. So God is for us in the work of Christ, and God is for us in the love of Christ. Carrick Baptist Church, folks, you have an unbreakable assurance in your life in the finished work and the perfect love of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first question. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now right there, you, you might be able to reply immediately, well, Satan and his co-workers are against me. My own flesh is sometimes against me. My conscience, my heart can be against me. A world that wants nothing to do with God is against me. But listen, the point, the point of the verse, and listen, Paul, Paul doesn't ask who can be against us. That's not the question he asks. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If the one who created and rules all things in his universe is with you and for you, then you do not need to be afraid of anything in that universe. Who can be against you, Carrick Baptist Church? Well, perhaps you could say, everybody outside of the church can be against me. But from a biblical lens, from a biblical lens of knowing that God is sovereign, then what does it really matter? who it is that's against you, because that sovereign God is for you. Listen, I want you to practically, I want you to practically apply this verse to your life right now. Apply this to your verse right now. So verse 31, God is for dot, 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 and put your name in. If you're a Christian, if you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, God is for Declan Curley. God is for, and you put your name right there. Apply that to your life right now. And the point is this. This is the point. If God is for you, then God would have to be defeated for you to be defeated. God would have to be defeated for you to be defeated. 
That's the point. And God is for us in every, and I don't want to minimize any trials or circumstances in people's lives, but God is for us. And every trial, every health result, every financial problem, every pressure, or every demon from hell that we face, they are all smaller and they are all weaker than the God who is for us. My God is a great big God. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. Question number two, verse 32. He who did not spur his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul, being the apostle Paul, he brings us to the cross. Paul, time and time again, just brings us to the cross. And he does this because, listen, folks, the great lie, the great lie that you and I are tempted to believe is the same lie that our first parents, Adam and Eve, believed in the garden whenever they were tempted by Satan. And it goes something like this. God is holding something back from you. God is not really for you. Because if he was, then this wouldn't be happening in your life, or that wouldn't be happening in your life. That wouldn't be happening to you. All your children would be saved if God was for you. Your health would be great if God was for you. The other, the, another lie that goes along with that was, he would say, you need to prove yourself. You need to earn more to add to it, because you know what? God is holding something back from you. That's a lie. That's a lie. And Paul is saying in verse 32 that if you are ever tempted to believe that lie, then just look to the cross. Look to the cross. If God was willing to give the best that heaven could give and for him to endure suffering and then death on the cross to pay a debt that we could never even begin to pay, so that we could be brought back, so that we could be reconciled back to God, then how can we ever really think that God is holding back on us? Octavius Winslow is a 19th century evangelical, or was, and with a name like Octavius, you're not going to be an up-to-date preacher, sure. It's a wonderful name. It's a fantastic name. Uh, but he has done some wonderful writings. Octavius Winslow is a 19th century evangelical preacher, and this is what he wrote. Who delivered Jesus up to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy. But the Father for love. The Father gave him up for love. But what are the all things? He will graciously give us all things. What are the all things referring to there in verse 32? Well, the all things is everything that Paul has been talking about earlier on in the chapter, okay? So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are now have a new outcome. There is no condemnation. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so we have a new way of thinking. We have a resurrection body and soul to look forward to. We, have a, we are adopted into the family of God. We have an inheritance, an inheritance of a new creation, which most gloriously, most gloriously of all, will be with King Jesus for all eternity. We have that to look forward to. Those are the all things. 
Listen to what J.I. Packer writes in his book, Knowing God. He's talking about this verse. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Packer says, One reason it seems that we have trouble believing this is that in our heart of hearts, we are afraid of the consequences of going the whole way into the Christian life. In other words, we are not persuaded of the adequacy of God to provide for all the needs of those who launch out wholeheartedly onto the deep sea of unconventional living in obedience to the call of Christ. We are afraid to go all the way in accepting the authority of God because our secret uncertainty as to his adequacy to look after us if we do. Now, Packer says, let us just call a spade a spade. The name of the game we are playing is unbelief. And will he not graciously give us all things? Stands as an everlasting rebuke to each of us. And then he finishes, he says, Paul is telling us that there is no ultimate loss or irreparable impoverishment to be feared. If God denies us something, it's only to make room for one or another of the other good things he has in mind for us. Folks, there is no greater or costlier gift that God could have given than his own beloved son. In his son, God gave everything. So he will never fail to give us the lesser things. And the cross is the guarantee of God's unfailing and extravagant generosity toward us. The cross is the guarantee of God's generosity toward us. Third question, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so you maybe notice there's sort of a, there's a courtroom language, uh, an imagery uh, being used here when Paul asks, who will bring any charge against God's elect? Again, our reply might be a lot of people might bring a charge against God's elect. Satan might bring a charge against God's elect. I mean, he in Revelation 12, he is literally called the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Other people might highlight our sins and our flaws and our shortcomings. Even our own hearts can accuse us. But Paul is reminding us that every accusation that is thrown our way has absolutely no meaning no power or no authority over us. Why? Because every sin, every flaw, and every shortcoming in your life, dear Christian, has been atoned and paid for in full at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no accusation that can be thrown your way that can ever condemn you before God. None. Why? Because therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And listen, see that little word, no, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you have a Greek lexicon, if you have a Greek lexicon at home, fair play to you. But if you have one, go home and do a word study on that little word, no. Do you know what you'll find, what it means? It means no. It means not now and not ever. None. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Which leads us to the fourth question, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? So who is to condemn? Once again, we might answer, well, our own hearts can condemn us. Critics condemn us. People who are opposed to the gospel can condemn us. Satan condemns us. The bathroom scales condemn us. Maybe that's just me. But the answer for the Christian to this comes from the gospel. The answer comes from the gospel. And of course, we know what does the gospel mean? It means good news. And good news is just shorthand for the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here. It's exactly what he's doing here once again in this verse. Christ died. So Jesus was condemned for our sin. There's no condemnation for you and me here in Christ. Christ died. He rose. He rose for our justification so that we might be made right with God. Jesus rose for our justification. God accepted the perfect sacrifice of his son. He is now seated at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. Christ died, Christ rose. Paul is reminding us, folks, that we do not worship and follow a dead Jesus of Nazareth. We do not follow a dead Savior. People might be able to pinpoint the tomb that Jesus was buried in, but you know what they will never be able to find there? His bones, because they're not there. They are not there. He was raised. Carrick Baptist Church, we worship and we follow a living and exalted Jesus. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? He has you on his heart right now. He has me on his heart right now. He has every single one of his children, his people, on his heart right now at this very moment. He forever lives to intercede for each and every one of us. So, if it's God who justifies and Jesus who advocates for us, who in all of creation is going to condemn us? No one. Nobody can condemn us in the sight of God. Folks, what we need to do more often is what John Piper and many great uh, writers and speakers before Piper ever said it. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to preach the gospel to our own hearts daily. Learn to remind ourselves that there really is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. We remind ourselves, you know what? God really is for me. So who can be against me in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of eternity? Who can be against me? Because God is for me. Remind yourself that God's love for you has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. You maybe have a bad day. God's love is not diminished. It's not less. It's not lessened for you because you're having a bad day. Maybe you're having a good day. Maybe you've read four chapters of Leviticus and your prayers, it feels like they're just going through the ceiling. God's love for you is not increased. It's not any better. We remind ourselves that we belong to Jesus and he, he, he 
tells me who I am. Carrick Fergus Baptist Church, do not allow the world to tell you who you are. The world does not define you. Jesus Christ defines you. Your identity is in Jesus Christ alone. It's like the song, I don't know whether you have heard it, there's a song, it says, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. One of the stanzas near the end of that song goes like this, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. He defines you. You're defined in Christ alone. Do not allow the world to tell you who you are. And listen, whenever we do this, whenever we remind ourselves of these great truths, it deepens that sense of assurance and certainty of God's love toward us. And that then empowers us to live and face whatever the day might bring. We can face it. God tells us that when accusations or condemnation comes our way, then learn to look to Jesus. Don't look to the accusation, but look to Jesus and then deal with that circumstance. Don't ignore the circumstance. Deal with the circumstance. But deal with it through the lens of the gospel, through who Jesus is for you and me. And whenever we do that, you know what? Fear anxiety and worry, as real as those things are, but they do not stand a chance. They do not stand a chance of consuming us. They may be real in our lives, but they will not consume us when we face them from a gospel lens. Final question, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, up to now, we've acknowledged the work of God for us in Christ. And now, from verses 35 to 39, we're going to see the love of God um, for us in Christ. And so, Paul begins with this question. He says, who is going to separate us from God's love? And And then he makes a list which, although it's not an exhaustive list, it pretty much, it encompasses the entire universe. And listen, of course, Paul is, of course, qualified. He is qualified to talk about these things because Paul has endured more hardship and disappointment and sacrifice than all of us in this room put together. So tribulation, distress, or persecution, are all, they're all the realities of living in a God-rejecting world. And Jesus himself said, he said that if they hated him, they would hate us as well as his followers. Famine or nakedness, that's talking about the lack of adequate food and clothing, okay? Our daily needs. Danger or sword is talking about the reality of death. So, does the presence of any of these things in our lives indicate the absence of God's love from our lives? If any of those things are present in our lives, does it mean that God's love is absent? from our lives? Or perhaps, allow me to put it another way, if any of these things are present in my life, then am I really secure in the love of God? And if I'm not really secure in the love of God, can I lose my salvation? But that's the wrong question, isn't it? That's the wrong question to ask. 
because the Bible never confronts us with that question. And listen, just a, a little footnote. If you could lose your salvation, you would have lost it by now. And so would I a long time ago. But the point and the real question here should be, and this is what Paul is getting at here, can Jesus lose one of his own? Can God lose a Christian? Will God fail to finish the good work that he has begun in you and me? Will Jesus cast out anyone who has genuinely come to him through faith? Of course, the answer is no. The answer is no. In all of the frustrations and all of the pain that comes with this world that make us cry out and pray to God, listen, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, verse 37. So in all of your brokenness, in all of your weakness, in all of your feelings, in all of your flaws, God says that you are more than a conqueror. That literally means a hyper-conqueror or a super-conqueror. That's what that literally means. Do you feel like a super-conqueror this morning? Or in those times, maybe whenever you're struggling, maybe you get to the Wednesday afternoon and you're struggling, do you feel like a super conqueror? No, maybe all the time, probably not, but you are. And it's not because you are amazing. It's not because of anything you did or that you can do. Our confidence is not in our love for him but our confidence is in his love for us. And you are more than a conqueror through him, that is Jesus, who loved you. You are a hyper-conqueror. Listen, there will never, ever be one single being who will get to glory and they will hear God say to them, you did it. They will never hear that. Every single being who walks into glory, what they will do, every single being who walks into glory will look to Jesus and say, you did it. You did it all. And nothing has separated me from the love of God because of you, Jesus. You did it all. And then Paul just to be sure that we are sure of this certainty that he has given us over these number of verses that we have read. Just to be sure of this certainty, he gives us one more list to conclude the chapter. And it includes, it it includes everything in the entire universe. He says, beginning there in verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Carrick Baptist Church, what more? What more do we need to stand in the security that is ours in Christ Jesus? God wants us to know, listen, God wants us to know that we are not guaranteed uh, immunity from any suffering. You know that. We're not guaranteed immunity from any pain. We are not guaranteed immunity from any type of loss. 
whether that's financial or, or health or anything else. We are not guaranteed immunity from loss. We are not guaranteed immunity from temptations that come our way or from trials. They are very real in our lives. But you know what? He also wants us to know that, no, that there is no created thing that can come ever, can ever come between you and him if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Nothing in all of creation can come between you and him. We might never get everything that we want. Praise God, we don't because it would ruin us. We might never get everything that we want. And you know what? We may even lose everything that we have now. We may even lose what we have now. But God promises that we will never lose him. We will never be separated from him. These incredible truths, folks, are what empowers us to live a God-glorifying, God-honoring, joyful life. Learn to make your home more and more and more and more. Learn to make your home in the perfect love of Jesus Christ through every single real circumstance that comes into your life. Learn to live it through the love of Jesus Christ because in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is for us. And folks, just as we close, in Christ Jesus, we cannot, we cannot be beaten. In the grand scheme of things, in the view of eternity, we cannot be be beaten. We literally cannot lose. We know how it ends. We know how it's going to end. We literally cannot be beaten. So what more do we need to face whatever comes our way? and to live with an unshakable confidence. Why? Because God is for us. Let me pray for us. And then I'm going to ask the team back up um, to sing. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the wonderful truths and realities that we have already been speaking about here today. Father, we thank you that you are for us in and through your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that as you came, you came and you lived a perfect life. Though tempted every single day, Lord, you did not sin. And yet as the only, the only holy one, the perfect one, the only one who never deserved to die, Lord, you willingly went to the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God our Father and be brought into your family. Lord Jesus, it is all upon your merits that, we're, that our hope is in, that our assurance is in, that our confidence is in. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have us firmly in your grasp. We thank you that, that we are in the Father's hand because of who you are. And so Lord, we pray you'll just continue to bless us, continue just to warm our hearts. And even as we, we stand to sing, Lord God, that our hearts would respond in the knowledge, in a deeper knowledge and a greater sense of the love that you have for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the assurance. We pray, Lord God, even as we live our lives, that we would indeed live them pointing people to you, be signposts to being used for you to point people to who you are and your wonderful kingdom. So, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Father, for your wonderful faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.